I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the MVP Show. Today I have a chat with a man that knows his stuff. Business Applications MVP, Jerry Weinstock. I would love your feedback. If you're listening to the MVP Show over the last couple of months, what do you think? Please tweet me at nz365guy. For full show notes, visit nz365guy.com forward slash 41. Now let's get the show started. Okay, everybody, I'm here with Jerry Weinstock, and you heard that right, wine as in wine you drink with stock at the end, and we're talking today about uh, his um, tenure as a business applications MVP. Uh, what are you at now, Jerry, seven or eight years? Um, I'm at, uh, let's see, eight years now. I was became an MVP in 2010, and actually looking over at my little plaque, and it's got uh, five, six, seven, nine rings on it, but there was a hybrid year and a half and they combined things when they redid the renewal process so somehow i've got eight years but nine rings or something like that so i guess i'm on my ninth year gotcha yeah i know they've, they've changed it recently and i'm just like why do they need to make that change and make it a dual year thing i could just left it right right right, <laughs> right. um so jerry you know, tell us a bit about like uh, your passions outside of outside of you know being an MVP, focusing on Dynamics three six five for us. You know, since around two thousand and three, I think it is. Tell us about. I know you're into water skiing, and uh, you're pretty passionate about that. Right. So water skiing is a lot of fun. It's been a uh, lifetime experience for me. I I think it's something that I'm really passionate about because from an athletic ability. It's um, reasonably good at it and remarkably poor at just about everything else, basketball, uh, soccer, uh, you know, football, things of that nature. So um, it, it's, it's worked out real well. I lived on a lake during the summertime in Western Massachusetts growing up. And I started, uh, it was very, we lived right on the lake. The family had boats and everything like that. Everybody skied. I started skiing uh, when I was five years old, and it's I've been I just love it. It's it's I get out there in the water, and there's nothing nicer than a fun ski run. Wow, why did why did you never go pro? I'm gonna say that probably I'm reasonably good, but maybe not good enough for pro. But I suspect it's a product of my upbringing that my parents weren't like in that mode, so to speak, and they never pushed me in that upper in that direction you know back in those days when i was skiing the only the only they didn't really have pro at those days if you were a professional so to speak you were down at cypress gardens in florida uh doing ski shows for and things of that nature um but the most exciting thing i ever saw was i went to the 1964 world's fair as a kid 
And they, you can still Google it and see a picture of it. They had a big uh, tank there. Basically, it was almost a quarter-mile uh, oval. And they had a boat that was running around in there. They had stands and everything, and they were showing off all sorts of skiing stuff in this tank that was like, you know, quarter-mile, uh, you know, track, track size around. And um, I saw somebody doing barefoot there, and I go, I got to do that. So... I did that. Uh, I guess I'm going to disclose my age, but that was uh, when I was 12 years old. So uh, basically, I did that the next summer, and I've been enjoying the barefoot component of uh, water skiing since, uh, you know, since then for maybe 50 plus years. Okay, so t- listen, uh, I understand you live in in Kansas. Is that right? And the only thing I know about Kansas is Dorothy Gale. Yeah, and the the Wizard of Oz, and is that the same place? That that is the same place. We're one of those rectangular states in the middle of the country that you fly over when you go uh, from the west coast to the east coast. And I've been in Kansas uh, since 1985, and before that it was uh, in Florida, and then before that I was in school in Arizona, and then before that back in the Northeast. So, but uh, Kansas is now home. Wow! Wow! So. Uh, Tell us a bit about your family and kind of if I was to come to Kansas, what would we go out and do? Uh, let's. Well, we definitely want to go water skiing. Um, the other thing I'm into is uh, competitive target shooting. So we, you might go out to the range and uh, and uh, shoot some rifles and pistols and some paper stuff, and we could have fun doing that. Um, but uh, what we might go to a couple. I mean, we you know we have civilization here in Kansas. Uh, people on the East Coast and West Coast wonder, but we have a we have a NASCAR track. We have the Kansas City Chiefs. We have the Kansas City Royals. Uh, that's our football team. And for you, that would be that pointy ball with not the round one. <laughs> uh, and uh, then we have a, a baseball team, and we've got a soccer professional soccer team. So we've got uh, uh, we've got culture here uh, in Kansas. Um, and um, that's pretty good. So my family, I've been married for um, oh, coming up on 43 years now uh, to a girl I met when I was in, we met when we were in college. And we've got two grown kids. In fact, the oldest child, my daughter, is getting married uh, this coming Sunday. So um, Wow. Wow. Um, Congratulations. So if anybody wants to set up a GoFundMe page and uh, <laughs> and, help, and help me out and you're listening, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And if you want to do, you know what I'm doing on Monday after, after the wedding, I'll be at the county courthouse filing for bankruptcy. But... Uh, but besides that, it's going to be a it's going to be a great weekend, and I've got a uh, twenty seven and my daughter's thirty two, and I got twenty seven year old son who is a uh, um, AutoCAD guy, Revit guy at a local uh, engineering firm. So yeah, we got a couple dogs and a horse or two. Wow, you you've got a full on weekend coming up. Yes, I do. Full on, full on. So, Jerry, how did you? I just get you to go, you know jump in the time machine, take us back to. First receiving your MVP award, and tell us a bit about the feeling of that and how it came about. So what happened was, is our company was exhibiting at Convergence back in 2009, and um, I had uh, back back then the CRM team uh, uh, had a had a, a blog post site. And they were taking lots of contributions from guest contributors all the time. It was a whole different kind of component. It was basically their main communications channel at the time. And I saw some people that didn't work for the product team that were making posts. And I said, looked at it and I go, I think I could do that. 
Of course, I had never done a blog posting in my life prior to that. But I said, I think I could do that. And somehow chased down the, the guy at the time that was running it, which was a, a gentleman named Jim Glass, uh, who was running it, and started communicating with him. And I said, here's a couple things I'd like to think would be of interest to, to post about. And I he said, okay, great, write them up, send them in. Uh, which I did, and they appeared uh, online, uh, you know, a month or two later. And I, I go, like, this is fantastic. I mean, like, I was just like, I was just ecstatic to see my name online like that, uh, uh, because blogging was was pretty much uh, in the early days back in 2009. And then I ran into then I ran into Jim at um, at the convergence event uh, later on, and we were exhibiting. He came by the booth, and he and he was talking to me. He says, well. You know, I wonder why you're not an MVP, Jerry, because I see, you know, you did the guest post. I've seen you out on the forum site answering questions and things of that nature, which was a very big component of being an MVP back in the day. That was one of the key key factors is how many posts that you were responding to and answering because, you know, I've probably not politically correct, but, you know, Microsoft, I think, views this as cheap uh, support labor to have MVPs and other people answer questions on the forum and to support the community. But we were doing that. And he goes, oh, I wonder why you're not an MVP. And he goes, oh, I should know that answer because since I run the program, he goes, well, you ought to apply. And I go, really? So I said, okay. So I applied. And then this is when they were doing the reviews quarterly. Nothing happened for the first quarter. And I go, oh, shucks. It's a, what is a, not going to happen. And then I updated my contributions and then the next quarter came by and nothing happened. And at this point in time, I think, okay, this is not going to happen for me. And then the uh, third quarter came by and in October of, um, I guess it would be actually 2009. Yeah, 2009, I got this email on October 1st and it was phenomenal and it was just great because i've been checking you know the first of the quarter every you know first of the month every every quarter here for the last three or four quarters and nothing happened and get this email and it, it was just like it was probably one of the biggest professional accomplishments of my entire career um in conjunction with some other things i've done with uh, in the dot-com era and things of that nature but it's 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 the um it's it's like in the top three mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so if not the top one <laughs> Has it affected your career? Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, I, I don't. In what way? I don't think um, I would be where I am today, both successfully as a CRM consultant and an ISV, without ever having this experience of being an MVP in a couple areas. One is um, you get to hang out with a lot of really smart people across the world and get all sorts of different information. And you've got this resource group of fellow MVPs. And back in the day in 2010, it was a smaller group. There was only about 40 of us now. And I think we're probably over a hundred or something like that, depend upon how you count business application specialists, uh, solution guys and gals. Um, and then the other part of it is quite frankly, um, there's some initial credibility. I mean, it's kind of like having a PhD in the business that you're working in. And I think that's an edge. And and, and I lo- love giving back to the community. It's I've prospered personally quite a bit from, you know, the CRM program and, and what we've done here at our company. And, and it's great to donate time back to the community to help grow the pie and so on. So that that's, uh, that's interesting as in, uh, that it's you know had that type of impact, and and one of the things I've noticed recently, well I say recently, the last year and a half or so, you know Microsoft have uh, you know we've seen the Power Platform come out, we've seen Power Apps Flow, 
um, Power BI, you know, really, uh, you know, coming together. And we're seeing this pivot, you know, happening with Microsoft. And, you know, we all started kind of like in Dynamics uh, CRM days or 365. We're seeing this pivot. And I've noticed that a lot of Microsoft staff, when Microsoft bring out new technologies, the smart staff pivot and get on the training and learn the new stuff and their careers just keep going from one, you know, a highlight to the next. They keep growing their careers. And I've noticed that you've done the same recently as in over the last year and a half or so. You've made this pivot and you're starting to invest a lot more time and contribution around flow, power apps. Tell us why, what's your thinking there and uh, why you're making that pivot. So I think one thing we need to get right on the table is I'm not a coder. I don't code for a living. I don't write code. I manage developers. I've got a pretty good technical affinity. I can look at code and kind of understand what it's doing, but you know, I couldn't uh, feed the family uh, you know, in that category. So Microsoft Flow is a great solution for this, you know, the citizen developer. And I think it you know, basically puts uh, you know, super premium gasoline in your tank when you're, when you're able to use a product like that. And, I, and, and, and it's, it's sort of the culmination of you know, these theories years ago, uh, the same thing with Power Apps, is that you, know, you could non-developers or non-coders could create applications using point and click applications. So Microsoft Flow, which I'm really into, and then perhaps secondarily into Power Apps, is a great tool, allows us to connect things to CRM, and that's pretty much the, the kind of my whole focus. I'm not off doing flow things necessarily that aren't connected to CRM. But um, it, it is... It is really slick, and the reality of it is now is it's becoming even more intertwined and uh, with the CRM or customer engagement platform. And you know, very soon it is going to be the workflow engine for the customer engagement platform. So it, it's kind of fortuitous that I kind of jumped on it because it I kind of feel it's giving me a head start as to when it uh, when it becomes the new engine. Yeah, yeah. Have you got any thoughts? Or kind of. Uh, you know, when you feel that it will get to that point where it will pretty much replace the actual, the old kind of workflow, both uh, a synchronous and asynchronous workflow engine that's currently inside Dynamics? Well, there's some things I know under NDA that I can't speak to. And then there's some other things that I believe are going to happen that are just exist within my mind time frame. But I start, I think we're going to see that, you know, we saw the turn of events and the, the first step in that direction when flow got added to the uh, navigation system within CRM uh, this past release. I think we're going to see more of that in the October release. Exactly how much we're going to see remains to be seen. But I think, I think, I'm not sure, but I think Jerry just thinks there's no real information. I think we're maybe a year away from using flow entirely instead of the workflow engine. And and I could be proven wrong. It could happen in springtime for all I know, uh, springtime 2019. But, but I think there's, there's a lot of things that they still need to do. I mean, there's, for example, in the flow engine today, you can either create a recurring flow or a button flow or flow that's triggered on an event. But there's no way really like you can do within the CRM workflow engine, the traditional engine, that you can create a workflow and make it an on-demand workflow at the time. So even that, so if I create a, uh, a flow that's triggered on an event happening at CRM, I can't also fire it off on on-demand right now. So I'd have to actually create a different version of it, so to speak. Um, so there's, there's, um, they're coming along and, you know, the CDS component changes the whole perspective too. So I think it's very exciting times and, it's like drinking from a fire hose. There's so much new stuff coming out. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that's a, that's an interesting thing. How do you kind of keep up with the so much that's coming out? Well, I don't. I think is the honest answer. When, when I started with CRM in two thousand and three, uh, I took my first CRM exam uh, in uh, in the spring of two thousand and three. You could ask me any questions about customer relationship management, sales, marketing, and service, and I would be able to give you the answer immediately. And then we had 3.0, and then we had 4.0. I still knew it. 2013 came out. But I will tell you, since 2016, you have had to pick your, um, pick your battles, so to speak. So within the contents of the new things that have come out, quite frankly, um, as a company, we have not ramped up for Power BI. We don't have, I, don't, I don't have anybody on my team that's sort of uh, uh, statistically orientated, so to speak, and is tuned into graphing and charting and visualizations. So basically, we, we, um, if we have that come our way, we're going to speak to Power BI. We know features, benefits, and so forth. But I'm going to outsource that to somebody from my extended team, and I'm not going to look for my you know existing staff to do that. So you have to be more granular today. And the notion that you can ask an MVP in, in customer relationship management, so to speak, or customer engagement these days, anything about voice of the customer or field service or project service automation, you're going to be disappointed because it is literally impossible to be as knowledgeable about the product offering as we once were. You're just, it's, nobody can do it. I don't, I don't know who can do it. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely become a... It's a it's a full toolkit now, right? You used to have one or two tools. Now it's a full toolkit, and you're you know it's hard to be kind of an expert in all of them, um, all the time. Yes, you know, no doubt about it. And there's things that we learn when we pick up these other packages, or if we do a voice of the customer application, which we do on a reasonably regular basis. But the reality of it is, we still learn some new things. And then we've had to flip over to um, uh, customer service, and there's some new things happening there. It, it is challenging not to spend your entire week, quite frankly, keeping up with all the new stuff. You could do that easily. You could do that easily. So true, so true. Listen, if, if people listening to this were, you know, they were keen to perhaps become an MVP, what, what, uh, what bits of advice – um, to prepare themselves for becoming an MVP, would you recommend as, as an, um, you know, could be their contributions, could be any area. What, what, what would be top of mind for you if someone said, Jerry, um, I really love to follow in your footsteps. Any recommendations? So there's a couple things. One is you don't have to be a developer. So if you're not a coder, no problem. If you're a coder, there's a couple things you can do. I think one of the ways that if, uh, if you want to become um uh, a player, so to speak, or a person in the community that has visibility, one place to go is to contribute to the XRM toolbox as a developer. That's a start to go down that path. Certainly getting out on the forums, whether the, the CRM user group forums or whether the uh, the Microsoft forums for support and getting out there and answering questions. Blogging is a great way to do it, and certainly blogging about just things that happen in your day with customers, Okay. Um, and if you're a customer, just blah, you know, that's another thing. MVPs are not always from the partner community. We have a number of MVPs in, in our area that are from end users. So you can be a end user uh, a person that's a Microsoft MVP. Um, so basically, the blogging doesn't have to be, you don't have to create new stuff all the time. You can just uh, take things that are you're working with your clients or working with internally, 
tips and tricks and experiences and blog about them. Uh, get involved in any user groups, whether it's a meetup group or a CRM user group. Uh, go to Summit, submit sessions, uh, get in front of audiences, get some visibility, and you know participate in maybe the, the Facebook group for CRM. Get out on LinkedIn, do those things. So uh, just talk about what you're doing and how you're doing and share your information. People just want to know what other people are doing and how they're solving problems. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it, man. Such absolute gold there. I was going to ask for two or three. I think you gave me five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve different tips right there, um, which is, you know, fantastic, fantastic. Listen, we're going to wrap up now, and I have always got a couple of, you know, weird and wacky questions to finish up with, and I just like to run uh, one or two of them maybe uh, past you. Um, but if you were to look at somebody that was successful, kind of like what kind of names jump to mind of, pe of people? And it could be totally unrelated dynamics, but you know, who do you look up to as somebody that's successful, um, in life? I got a, I got, I have a lifelong childhood friend and he retired when he was 50 and he's been living a pretty good life. So he was a pretty smart investor, and um, I guess I kind of wished I was as smart of an investor as he was. He also lived frugally and, you know, made money, but lived under his income, saved, and did fun stuff. But um, he um, he retired when he's 50, and he's, he's been having, or 50-something, he's been having a great time, and that would have been cool. Mm, mm. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. I like that you balance that. He made some good investments, but he... He also, you know, he lived frugally, which is, you know, a lot of people think it's just all about the money, but it's also about controlling or saving the money as well. Um, how do you deal with opportunities? As in, so ideas come your way. Do you kind of have a system for, you know, uh, qualifying in, qualifying out, that type of thing? Yeah, so there's, I mean, as, you know, we started the ISV business as a, as a back in 2007 because we wanted to make uh, money while we slept was a notion and i thought that's pretty cool and and it's easy to kind of sit here in the ivory tower so to speak and say oh this is what really the marketplace needs and everything but the reality of it is is that you can be pretty far off in that so what i tell myself and what i suggest to my clients when we're sitting around a conference table thinking about um, how they ought to do something for their users or whatever. I want to come up with an ISV solution because I think the market needs is, you know, when in doubt, ask your customers. So ask real people. Do you think you really need this? Sure, that'd be great. Would you pay for it? Oh, probably not. <laughs> uh, so I think when you say when you there's, you know, th that's a good, pretty good dividing line. Would you pay for this? Well, no, but I'd like to have it. So that's one of the easy ways to uh, separate fact from fiction. I like it. I like it. Hey, Jerry, it's been great to have you on the show. If people want to track you down online, uh, where can they find you? So on uh, Twitter, they can find me at, at CRM Innovation. On our website, they can go to CRMInnovation.com. And if you just want to find me online... Just Google uh, Jerry Weinstock, and I usually come up first. There's another Jerry Weinstock out there that's an actor. That's not me, uh, but you'll see my you'll see my links and 
uh, for better or for worse, I'm right up there on page one at the first and second or third listing, which probably means all sorts of private information about me is out there also on the internet. So if you find my social security out there, number out there, let me know if you would. Full show notes can be found at nz365guide.com forward slash 41. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave feedback on your favorite podcast app. See you next week.